Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin. The only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What is good, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street. The Draft Deck NBA Draft Podcast, courtesy of the No Ceilings Collective. Uh, I am here today, as always, with my co-host, Garbage Time. Albert Gim. Albert, how are we doing? What's going on, brother? It's uh it's good. It's good to be back. Um, right before we started recording, we were talking about the freaking terrifying uh numbers of uh positive COVID tests back in New York. So um yeah. that's rough. But uh, our thoughts and our prayers go out to everybody who's struggling with that right now. But it's good to be on. Our screen is a little tighter today. So we've yes. got a third person here. Uh, um, you know, it's making me feel slimmer. <laughs> uh but uh <laughs> i'm I'm ready to go i'm excited welcome welcome to the pod Mr. draft have, deeper we wow. have a, a special third frame um if you are watching on the no ceilings youtube channel or the draft deck spotify channel yes we have the one and only nathan ruble aka draft deeper also team member of no ceilings nathan how we doing i love being zoomed in on I gotta get Kevin to do something about this on on my podcast. I love it. I I, I agree with Albert. I, my my face just looks better when you're not zoomed out, seeing everything <laughs> in my room because I don't have a green screen. But I, I'm I'm doing well, boys. How how are you guys doing? Are you guys pumped? Oh, pumped is is an understatement. You know, this episode is uh, a little mm. bit different because for um, everybody who has been with us from Jump Street, you know that typically you know we cover one prospect very in depth talk about their specific draft stock um, throughout the process. And, but today we're going to, we're going to deviate from that path a little bit because I today released a update on the no ceiling Substack, which is free subscribe where I update from last month, all of the top thirties draft stock where they started, where they're at now. We have new members. We have some people that have risen. We have some that have fallen. And while we cover usually, uh, you know, that journey for each prospect, it's uh, this year we're going to, you know, do it throughout the process in a more, uh, you know, uh, broader spectrum kind of view. And I think it's going to give us a fun picture of how it's risen and fallen in waves instead of just like a start and an end point. Because, you know, it's sometimes like we covered Caleb Houston early in the process. And if we don't get back to him, you know, you only have the the stock from when we covered him, which was not great. But what we're doing today and what we did, um, again, we average out all of the stock prices and uh, we're going to hit some risers, some fallers, and, and the new guys. We're not going to hit all 30. If, if you want all 30, you got to go to the no ceiling sub stack. But this is exciting because the idea of this podcast 
actually came from, and I'm not sure if, if I've ever actually explained this on the show. I wanted to do this as a website before I wanted to do it as a pot, a podcast. And I had the idea. I even had a URL for it. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, chaos ensued on Reddit and AMC and GameStop exploded. And I was like, Oh man, this stock thing is going crazy right now. I hope nobody takes my idea. How do I get this out? I can't build out this website, this complicated thing in, in, you know, the next six hours, I got to, you know what? I'm just going to do it as a podcast. That way I get the idea. I claim ownership of it. And then the rest is history. But today we, uh, we're taking a broad look. We, we, we start, we saw where everybody started out about a month and a half ago on the show. And, um, now we're going to update everybody. So first and foremost, let's open the show with the hot topic. We got a new top three preseason. You know, that the top three was, was Chet, Paulo Bancaro and Jaden Hardy. Two of those members are still there. Paolo has overtaken Chet for the number one spot. Chet is number two. And really coming in hot on his heels is uh, Jabari Smith from Auburn. Let me ask you, Nathan. Jabari Smith, is he... Does he have any legitimate shot? Okay, because I know there's been some buzz about it, but does he have legitimate shot to crash the party and overtake Paolo or Chet for the number one spot overall? Oh, what's so fun about this show is that this show is going to release the same day as the Draft Deeper podcast, where we record it every Monday with Mr. Rucker and I, and we go through some of the hot topics that I'm writing about in the morning dunk. Also available on the No Ceiling Substack. And I pose this very question to Mr. Rucker about where does Jabari Smith now rank in the race for the number one overall pick? And boys, I got to be honest, that he may very well be number one when I redo my board in January. Mm. So to answer your question, without, without a doubt in my mind, he has a legitimate chance to overtake the other two. And it's really because when you just go down the list and you – start to check all the boxes as to what he brings to the table as a prospect. There are very, very few boxes that he leaves unchecked. I think really the the two things that we're not seeing from him at this point is he's not the same level of shot creator as Paolo is. Mm-hmm. And he's not the level of passer for his size that somebody like Chet is. I think both of those two guys have those areas around him. But other than that, He's been a flamethrower. He scores 20-plus points per game in every single game that actually matters on the schedule. Like, we want to talk about comparing, you know, the the better matchups versus the cupcakes of Auburn's schedule each time they've played a marquee name. He's performed. He's shooting 45.6% from the three-point line on volume. He's taking about five threes per game or very close to that. And if you put his numbers and where he ranks – versus Chet and Paolo, the number of threes he's taking and the clip that he's making them at, it's not even close. So mm. when you talk about a 6'10 big who stretches the floor like no other player in the class, and he has untapped upside of his own, similar to Kendall Brown, who we may or may not get into on this podcast, that was one thing I said to Tyler as well, is that he's come out and shown us so much that we didn't even know he could do. Why should we put a similar cap on Jabari's ceiling as well? 
Like, well, why, why, why would we say that he's shown us everything that he can? He could, he could start whipping out shots towards the end of the year when he gets more comfortable with his handle. We didn't even know he had in his bag. So, yeah, he absolutely has a legitimate chance, and I'm very, very, very close to putting him number one myself. Hmm. Nate, I, I just want to say, like, I feel like the point that you made about the three point shooting. Um, and the passing, I think all that is really good. I, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned it kind of in passing at the end. What do you feel about his handle? Because I feel like there's some really high moments where he can do some like pretty incredible things with the ball in his hands. But where do you feel like he is right now and where he's going to end up being in terms, in terms of his handle? Because I think it's good. Um, I'm just wondering what that ceiling looks like with him, though. Because obviously, when we talk about like a handle and shot creation and all that stuff, like I, I think that my, all of that might play into that discussion in terms of where he ends up. So, just want to fe- kind of get a feel of how you feel about all that because I know you kind of mentioned it at the end. I don't think he's been comfortable doing it as much during game in terms of trying to go to different moves off the bounce and really set something, set a shot like that up. But if you go back to what we would have watched in high school, um, to be perfectly honest a lot of the highlights we saw and what intrigued me the most were some of the back to the basket game where he was turning and fading out of the post, obviously a spot up shooting that we're seeing now in great volume, but how many highlights could we even go back and really see where he was doing a lot of that stuff, that that shot creation off the bounce and really having to go to a few combination moves to set himself up and free himself up on that kind of a jump shot. So I think that's brand new to him, but the fact that we already have even a few examples of him on film where when he does try to go to it, it's not terrible. It's not great. And those shots aren't falling at the same level as his spot-up shots. But at the same time, again, he's so young in his development. Yeah, the potential is there. It's not like he looks Mm -hmm. goofy doing it. You can just tell he doesn't have the same comfort level. Albert, I want to ask you something about um, Jabari Smith. Mm -hmm. I think... I think Nathan made a great case as to why he should be considered in the spot. Right. But is there an NBA decision maker? It's June. The hype's building. Is there a decision maker that actually has the balls to pass not on just one Palaboncaro or one Chet Holmgren, but on both of them? Jesus. Um, somebody who comes to my mind like right off the bat would be uh the dude with the glasses in uh, Oklahoma City, uh, Mr. Presty. I mean, what he did draft night taking Giddy, we were like, oh, I, I mean, Corey, you and I were there. We were pretty shocked that they took Giddy that high. Yeah. I mean, we had heard different things, different whispers, different different rumors, but he actually had the balls to go up and take Giddy like that. Um, obviously, uh, the uh, the 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 dudes up in Toronto, they've got some big balls. You know, they took Scotty Barnes at number four and they were not afraid to do that. So I, I could see it, man. Like, especially off of everything that Nathan just said, the insight that he just gave us on Jabari. And I think, Corey, you and I, we haven't done our pod on Jabari yet, no. but there is a lot to like about this guy. I'm just, I'm just a little bit worried that people are going to take his highlights 
and overreact to them a little bit, you know, with, with what Nathan talked about with the shot creation with the ball in his hands. I think there was a highlight from a couple of weeks back where he did this move where he was like going right and then he spun into the lane and hit like a tough fadeaway. And I think people are going to take that clip or clips like that by the end of the season and be like, oh, he's going to do that every time he has the ball in his hands. And I think just to piggyback off of what Nathan said, I think it's it's going to take some time for him to get there where he's doing that consistently. Um but at the same time, like, I, I mean, the shooting is unbelievable so far. And like Nate said, off of volume, he's like, he's at like, what, five attempts per game right now from three. He's like, what, 46%, which is unbelievable. And you see it like when you watch the games, like you could see it. And then we haven't even talked about his defense, the stuff that he's doing oh. on the defensive side of the ball. Like, it's unbelievable. Like you watch this guy and his intensity and his feet and his feel like I love his feet defensively. I'm just like, dude, that's some insane stuff that you're doing. So um, I definitely think there could be a couple GMs that are willing to take him above Chet and Paolo, but it's going to take someone with, like you said, with some big balls to do it. Yeah, I I agree. Let's pivot away from Jabari because I think that pretty soon we're going to have a, a more in-depth conversation about him because uh, the film sesh is coming along. And spoiler alert, oh my. the first one oh my. is on Jabari. It is. Uh Nathan, a few weeks ago, we both got to see this next guy live in person in what I'd imagine is going to be the college game of the year. I, I mean, it's going to be hard to to top uh, the, the game. I can't believe to. we were there for that. That, that was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're referring to uh, Rutgers versus Purdue. And we're talking about Jaden Ivey, who is now ranked fourth. He came into the season ranked uh, 11th overall. He had a, um average draft stock of 14 preseason. And he has separated himself as the best guard in the class, I think. Um, but what I want to ask, Nathan, is did seeing him in person do anything to enhance uh, your opinion on, on him? To in to enhance, I don't know if enhance would be the right word. I will say I got a clearer picture on what I think he is, and we already knew coming in that he was the most dynamic athlete at the guard position, arguably the most dynamic athlete in the entire draft. That box was obviously checked when, especially when he got away on that breakaway dunk where where he windmilled at home. That was that was freaking yeah. awesome to see in person, oh, yeah. but. The main thing I wanted to get a better feel for in person were his shot mechanics. And because he's he's all of a sudden become a three-point shooter this year in college. Yeah. He's pretty much hitting on 40% of his threes. Not not great volume, but mid, not mid very 40s. low volume either. Mid, mid, mid he's 40s on, hey, now. Hey, he's on nearly five attempts a game. That's pretty that's pretty good volume at the college which, level. The, the, the attempts are definitely rising, which is something that we like to see. But a lot of those are coming from open, wide open catch and shoot threes are, are where he's most comfortable. Yes. And the shot mechanics would tell me that that's definitely where he is the most comfortable because he kind of has a little bit of a windup to his shot when he has time to put his mechanics together and actually get the shot off. Looks pretty smooth going in, but when he when when a defender closes out too quickly and rushes him through those mechanics, or he tries to pull up off a one two dribble pull up in the mid range those mechanics are, are not as clean either. He's, he literally looks like he's throwing the ball at the basket because he's rushing through everything. So 
do I like the developments to his shot when he's set, when he's ready to get it up? Absolutely. You love to see shots going in in general. But my question for him is that if he doesn't have that pull-up shot, if that's something that never comes into his arsenal in a bigger way than it is now, how high of a ceiling can he have as a scorer, as a setup man, as a point guard where he, he just seems to be more natural with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. And when they kind of force him to play more exclusively off the ball, you hate it because you know that he is their best player. You know that he's produced most impactful guard, but at the same time, I don't want him just exclusively spacing out of the three point line or having to always cut to the basket to make something happen. You want to put the ball in his hands. You want him to take advantage of his passing ability, which is it, Simon would tell you that he had some of that stuff in his bag last year. I didn't see it to this extent. His pick and roll play is superb now. I want the ball in his hands as much as possible, but you see now in the NBA when you don't have that pull-up shot, when that's not reliably in your bag, it just makes life so much harder at the next level. Yeah, and, and with the amount that Purdue plays through the post, I don't know if we're going to get that much of a clearer picture. Exactly. That kind of thing. I do think that the NBA game fits what Ivy brings to the table significantly yes. more than than what he's experiencing at Purdue in the college system. But um, Albert, I mean, we've already seen so much movement. We've, we've got new people crashing the top five. Is Jaden Ivy a mainstay? It, you know, uh, I, it's early still, right? And um, a lot of people did predict this, you know, shout out our guy, Simon Rath, Hawks draft nerd. He, he has a right. number one overall. Um, but is it a guarantee that now he, he's locked into this top five spot? for me yes just because when i look at the list that we have right now of course i'm not a fortune teller i'm not some freaking you know whatever um there's a word i was thinking of i can't think of it but anyway um i I just can't see anybody jumping him i mean if if you talk to some of our guys at our site i'm sure there are some people who are going to say matherin can jump in there uh because all of you guys have such a hard on for matherin um, well, not all, but, you know, I'm giving you guys some shit here, but um, I, I just can't see it. I, I think if you consider all the improvements he's made, I know, Nate, right now you just talked about some of the improvements that he's made already and what he's shown. It's pretty unbelievable. And, Corey, what you said about him uh, being a better suit for the NBA game, like I, yeah. I see that 100 percent. This guy is he's an absolute blur. But, you know, even if we go back to what we talked about preseason like when we go back to the u19 stuff his ability to play both on ball and off ball is i think that versatility is what makes him so interesting and if the spot up shooting is going to be this damn good then you know it it's it's really interesting to think about but you know once again nate i think the question that you asked like what his ceiling is going to look like on the next level is a really interesting question because ultimately we do have to start to project our like what can this player become and what type of player can he become and i think that does get pretty interesting when we're thinking about ivy um so yeah but still for me considering all of that and the improvements that he's made and shown already i just can't think of like one or two players that'll jump him i think if he gets better he gets better i just don't know if he'll i just don't know how he can worsen his stock here um is kind of my thing and so, yeah, for me, he seems like a mainstay in the top five for me, for sure. All right, well, 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 let's let's uh, workshop this scenario where he does fall okay. out of the top five, mm-hmm. because while a lot of the no ceilings crew 
has soured on Jalen Duran. And a lot of people are seemingly talking about him as if his draft stock has fallen. It has really held steady. Uh, he came in at number five. And when you're talking about projecting forward, he's a guy that you're going to project forward to. He's he's a, the age of a high school senior. Um, he's playing in a scenario where he's he doesn't have a point guard, and he's the type of guy that really needs a setup man to generate a lot of you know what he'll thrive at in the league. And physically, he's probably the most impressive specimen pound for pound in the draft. Maybe you want to you know make the argument that Chet is just so odd that it's him. Maybe you can make the argument that Paolo and his size and his fluidity, you know. Um, but the, the kid is a, you know, we saw him in person as well, Nate. I mean, ridiculously yeah. chiseled. And then you touched on him a little bit earlier, and I was going to save him a little bit for the next segment. A guy who made the biggest jump out of anybody in this draft, Kendall Brown, who started the year ranked 29th in our draft IPOs, has jumped all the way to seven. And we covered him a couple of weeks ago, but I could see a scenario where Kendall Brown continues to climb and he, he works his way into the top five, a la, you know, uh, Scotty Barnes, a la Patrick Williams. And I can see a scenario where a team looks at Jalen Duran and sees him in workouts and looks at the context of his situation and goes, how on earth are we going to pass this kid up? Where are you at with Duran personally, Albert? So, okay, for me, man, you kind of, I, I thought you were going to go to Nate here, but this no, is no, thank, thank God he didn't go to me. I'm so <laughs> glad he went to you, Albert. I actually have a question for both of you guys. So, this is something that's been bothering me ever since our Twitter spaces. Um, for me, with Duran, obviously, he's a guy that you guys saw in person. So, you guys are kind of the perfect people to ask about him. Um, my question with him is this like, we get a lot of really athletic bigs that have great tools that have a lot of ability that people get excited about, right? Like I even think about like, obviously the physiques are totally different, but if they think about a guy like Jackson Hayes, right? This guy can jump out the gym, great physique, right? Jericho Sims on the Knicks, great physique, great athleticism, whatever. What I want to ask you guys, because I haven't made any type of final decision on how I feel about Duran. I'm really up in the air with him right now. What I want to ask you guys is what is the finesse skill that you guys believe he has like real potential in so we talk about bigs in the league and everyone's looking for an anthony davis a Giannis antetokounmpo uh nikola Jokic. you're talking about bigs that can do a little bit more than just be big right got either he can shoot he can play make he can do he can do whatever right what is the finesse skill that you guys believe jalen duran can develop that he'll that'll justify him being taken in the top five is I think my question for both of you guys, because I'm not sure yet, which is why I have question marks, but if you guys can give me some insight on that, I think that'll help. I don't know if we're going to have an answer to that question because of the situation in Memphis, the fact that they don't have any semblance of a point guard to actually properly either feed him on the post or reliably get him going in the lob game. Um, And so if you were talking about finesse, that would lead me to you, you either want me to buy into some sort of post game or him developing some sort of shot outside of the paint. 
I, I can tell you for sure, I, I don't believe he's ever going to have a jump shot. I, I, I've seen the mechanics up close now. Corey and I got to sit there and watch him in, in warm-ups a ton. That shot, that shot is flatter than a pancake. That shot, it, it initially reminded me of when Dario Sarge first came into the NBA, how flat his oh shot God. was. Yeah. But even that was ended up becoming serviceable, and now it really is a workable shot from distance. Duran is like miles behind that, in my opinion. I, I don't trust it. I don't buy it. Um, he, he's very slow at processing the game as a passer. Like we, we've started to see a few reads he's made out of short rolls where you're like, okay, that's something, but it took him quite a, quite a bit to, to get through that progression. I feel like another half second and those passes wouldn't have made it to where they needed to go. And as for just coming back to the post game, just the touch that, that I'm talking to and referring to in his jump shot, I don't believe that that's necessarily going to translate in the post either. So like, the thing with Duran is if you're taking him in the top five, I think you believe he's on the Dwight Howard end of the spectrum more than the DeAndre Jordan end of the spectrum. And I'm probably closer to DeAndre Jordan in terms of an evaluation for him. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not sold on it either. I think we need Corey to dip into his own segments on this podcast and sell us this pen with, with, with Jalen Duran. Well, I'm still there with Duran. And the the first thing, and look, I'm not like a a, a crazy like, oh, uh, this guy jumps out of the gym, so I'm going to have him, you know, in the lottery because that's his baseline skill. But I do think that when you look at like outlier physique, it is certainly something that you take into consideration and weigh heavily yep. when you're looking at like, what is this guy going to project forward to in the NBA versus like who's having the best college season. And like, he's certainly not having a better college season than uh, like a Christian Coloco, right. Or maybe even a Mark Williams, you can argue about like the, you know, these other guys that you're going to hear um, as center options in the draft. But when you look at Duran and what he just brings just his raw physical talent as a, you know, just turned 18, that is something that you don't see all the time because he is legitimately, you know, 6'11", and he does have that, what did he, it was a 7'5 wingspan is what they measured at his pro day, right? Like, he does have these crazy measurements. And right now, it's not like he's been terrible all year. No. He's run hot, right? He's run hot, he's run cold, and he's in this scenario where he's not even showcasing the best version of himself. And you want to see more flashes than he's shown, but they've certainly been there. So I think when you look at his highs, you go, Oh shit. Like this is a guy that could impact things in the NBA in a real way, because he's not just manhandling college kids. Like he's going to be able to hold up physically against real NBA talent. And when you look at him and I know another guy, he's probably going to come to a little bit is like a guy like Bam Adebayo. And mm-hmm. I was at, I was very high on Bam in that draft, but right. I and I posted it in I, I think in the 2020 cycle I posted it at one point at, to make a point about how people can develop outside of a specific college system, and um, he was looked at as a low IQ, low feel, ath- athlete only type of big, and he's proven to be much more than that. He didn't really show much passing 
chops in college. He he still doesn't have a consistent, you know, long range jumper, but he's been so impactful as a defender and just as a guy who's been able to put pressure on a defense. Now he's got a great face up game. Um, and he's his passing has gone to a level that I don't think right. even the most optimistic Bama out of bio fans saw coming. <laughs> but the fact is he got to the right system, maximized his talent, and it's like now you're at the point where it's like, how many bigs would you take over Bam? It's a short list. And I do think potential-wise, Duran has that kind of potential, whether he gets there or not is the question, and that's what you have to ask yourself as a front office is, can we milk that out of him? Can we get every drip out of a kid who, from Jump Street, is going to have you know, uh, this outlier physical ability that, you can't pick up on a 10 day contract. You can't even really necessarily always sign in free agency. And if you can get that, especially towards the back of the top five, now maybe you're start talking yourself into like this kid's potential is higher than some of these other options. And if we're in the top five, maybe we're not going to be there forever. Let's swing for the fences. I, I can't, I, the only, I can't get past the 6.4 field goal attempts per game right now. And it's not like we're on like a one or two game sample size anymore. We're on a 10 game sample size now for Memphis. We're about a third of the way through the season. He, as you alluded to, Corey, he's built like a shit brick house. This guy is the real deal. There are very few bigs in college basketball who can actually measure up to him from a physicality perspective. How is this guy not getting more shots in the basket? Because when he does actually get the shot up, he's 67.2% from the field. And the fact that we can nitpick some of these parts about his game, yet he still has a 24.9 PER, that only adds to Corey's argument that we've seen so little, yet he's already found ways to show flashes and produce in different areas. So that's why I don't think this arguments are going to be case closed because mm-hmm. of the situation that he's in. This is a good debate that's going to ravage us all year long. And I think I don't think Corey's going to waver from his stance. I don't know if I'm going to waver from I my might. stance. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Albert is is the guy that eventually like breaks the tie for us here. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he he's I think it's safe to say out of these like top six seven guys to me he's yeah. he's the most mysterious of them all. Mm-hmm. Like I really don't know what I'm going to get, or I don't at least have some sort of a picture as to what I'm going to get if I draft him. Well, Nathan, you know, there. You said, you know, you're you're kind of disappointed with him not getting shots up. You know, for for most men out there who can't get it up, there there's always a reason and a context <laughs> why, right? So maybe we got to give uh, Jalen some, you know, cutting some slack here. I, I think I think both of you guys are making really good points, which is why, like you said, Nate, I feel like I'm kind of right in the middle. There's a part of me when I look at him and his body, it's like this guy's an absolute what the hell. Like, it really is a what the hell. And you guys saw him in person. Like, for me, I'm the guy where um, Jaime Jaquez Jr. walked by me. And I was like, my, my jaw hit the ground. I was like, this guy's freaking jacked, right? You guys saw Duran in person. And you're like, this guy's something else. So, for me, I take that into consideration. And I think what Corey said, I think with us not getting a full, robust picture of what he can actually do, considering the system and, and the school and the team that he's playing on, I think that's fair. At the same time, Nate, I think with what you're saying and the questions that you have, I think all that is fair. And I feel like I'm kind of in the in the middle, which is why, like, for me, Corey, you mentioned, like, a Mark Williams. You, you mentioned Coloco. There are a lot of guys in this draft that you're going to wonder, like, I can probably get this guy at the end of the first round. I can maybe even get them in the second round. They're going to be all kinds of guys. Like, that dude um, who also plays in Arizona, Tulep. Tulep. 
Tabellus. 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 Oh, I freaking Dude. love Tabellus. Dude, I don't that know. Guy's we, we won't sick. talk about him, but he, yeah, he is I, sick. Well, I, I really want to quickly mention him. Like, is he not like the second coming of Sabonis? Like, that dude is freaking something else. He's really fun to watch. But once again, like, I, I think the idea of do I take a risk with Durin at five or do I feel better about taking Mark Williams at 27? Like, I, I think these are the types of questions that make being an NBA GM so freaking hard. But for sure, like, I see both sides. And I think that's why this discussion is going to be really interesting for people who watch Jalen Duran and have an opinion about him because I really do think it could go either way. So I think for me right now, five feels high for me, but that could definitely change depending on how the rest of the season goes. Well, the last thing I'll say about him is that when I, to, to make a comparison like Bam, I can see some resemblances, but when I watched Bam at Kentucky, he jumped off my screen. I was so excited to watch Bam in college. I'm not excited to watch Duran. And I don't know, again, if that's solely because of the situation that he's in, as we've said it like five times now, or if that's because he really, I really don't feel like he's going to be that big of a difference maker at the next level. But there, there's just something about the fact that he doesn't stand out to me from the eye test watching him. He doesn't jump off my screen that I don't know. I'm just not as excited about him. I'm not sold. Right. Right. I, I, I totally get the qualms, but again, like you said, I mean, he's playing 24 minutes a game. He's blocking three shots a game. He's getting to the line six times a game. He's he's impacting the game, and he doesn't even know what he is, and he just turned 18. So these are the things that you have to wrestle with internally. Um, but yeah, and it's early. You know, we still have like three games to go. So yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. what if he, yeah, he could have a stretch where he's just, you're like, all right, it clicked, right? And then he's off to the races. Um, the last guy I kind of want to talk about in the top 10 that we haven't, that we mentioned um, was Benedict Matherin. Now I know Albert, you're, you're a little uh, iffy on Mr. Matherin, but he has come into the top 10. He entered, he's at number 10 right now. Uh, I believe he was at 15 coming into the year. Um, so he's risen quite a bit. And not only yeah. did he jump into the lottery, but he he got to the top a top ten spot. Uh, what are your reservations with him, Albert? Before before we uh, go through No, I get it. And guys, it, I want to I want to start off. I want to preface all this by saying I'm a reasonable human being. I am. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I'm no I'm doubt. some weird hothead that is really stubborn. For me, with Matherin, it's as simple as this. And I want to, and once again, I'm really thankful that I get to talk about this with you guys because I need your perspective as well. Because for me, when I watch Matherin, I've seen so many Twitter posts about him saying that he's like this unbelievable athlete, and I just don't see it. Like, this could just be my bias, right? I've, I think I saw somebody tweet, like, this guy has, like, freakish athleticism. And I'm like, I'm watching him play, and I'm like, I don't feel that at all. Like, I think he has – I think he's a good athlete. He's a functional athlete 100%. I'm not, I'm not saying he's, like, stuck to the ground. But at the same time, like, I also think he has really long arms. And sometimes, like, when he's getting up there, it's not that he's getting up there. And it's, it, it's his reach that makes him look like he's getting higher than he actually is. The shooting – hey – Give him all the credit. I think he's definitely improved a ton as a shooter. But at the same time, like, I still have questions about it. And that's just a personal thing. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Like, there are a lot of things that I'm seeing and people are talking about that maybe I'm just the idiot who can't see it. 
And it's quite possible that I'm the idiot who can't see it. I've been like that about a lot of prospects before. It's just, for me, it kind of goes back to what we just talked about with Duran. Do you take Duran at five or Mark Williams at 27? Do you take Matherin in the top eight? Or do you take like Ochai Agbaji later on in the draft? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I just have these weird questions in my mind where it's like, do I want to take a guy this high in the draft who doesn't have as high of a ceiling or do I wait for a guy with a similar ceiling and take him at a much better spot in the draft where I feel way more comfortable, comfortable about it is kind of how I feel right now. Um, but once again, why are we here? So you guys can talk some sense into me. It's just, I don't feel the same hype about him. And he's playing on a really good Arizona team with like guys around him that are really good too. We just talked about Tabellis and Coloco and they've got, Steve Kerr's, um, you know, illegitimate son. So it's like there's a lot of stuff going on in that team that I think makes him look better. But once again, it could just be me. So maybe, maybe Nate, can you talk some sense into me? Maybe I'm just the idiot here. I actually want to hear Corey's take on on Matherin because I don't, I, I don't feel like we we've hashed out enough of Corey's take right. on him when we had our little private meeting doing the the mock draft and everybody wanted to go crazy. It's it's good you did not have Rucker on this podcast to talk about him because he's just <laughs> yeah. a homer. So he would have killed me well, already. So I'd like to say that I said in our preseason uh, article that he was the best prospect in the conference, and that was not a popular opinion. So I'm actually super high on Matherin, and and one of the arguments was you know or arguments is a strong word. One of the creative uh, debates that we had when we were formulating our own mock draft was you know should he go ahead of Keegan Murray? Right now, Keegan Murray's ranked number ninth overall on on the draft draft rankings. So a, that is a, a worthy debate, and obviously they can flip. Uh, I actually think that your takes, Albert, are incredibly reasonable. And if you're going to go for the Coloco, Mark Williams, Duran debate, like you said, I think bringing up a guy like Agbaji versus Matherin and, and the value you can get at different parts of the draft is a completely reasonable debate. Okay, I think that Matherin is. A guy that it's hard to see him fail. I think you, you're. I think that he, you're spot on. He's not a freakish athlete. Freakish athlete yeah. to me is Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady. Yeah. That's a freakish athlete. He's a very. And in this class, it would be Kendall Brown. Yeah, and and even Kendall Brown. I don't even think Kendall Brown is a freakish okay. athlete when when you compare him to some of the guys that have been in the NBA. I think Kendall Brown is an excellent athlete, but freakish to me is like, you know, next level. Would you put Ivy in that category? In freakish, in in the freakish category, because I I, I, I think, think he, I think he's there. I think just he's below, just below. Okay. And the reason I'll say it is because I don't. Too. I think that sometimes, um, he doesn't have complete control of it. Oh, and maybe and maybe he gets there, um, but sometimes like I you know he's a little bit like the roadrunner where his feet are moving before he's mm-hmm. actually like creating like going to where he's going like he's just that's running a fantastic his- point. And um, so I don't think he has full – I think that, like, he he has the bounce, he has the speed, but he doesn't have the control of it. Like, Derrick Rose was a freakish mm-hmm. athlete. Okay. Derrick Rose could start, stop, accelerate, deaccelerate, leap with the best of them. Watching him live was like seeing an alien. Watching Jaden Ivey live was like watching a really exciting basketball player. So I, I think there are levels to like when I talk about freakish okay. versus like really good. And 
And I think Ivy is going to be a really good athlete by NBA standards, um, for sure. But I don't think he's going to be freakish. Matherin certainly isn't freakish, mm-hmm. but he's good. And like you said, he's functional. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love that getting a guy like him, and again, he's, uh, a, even though he's a sophomore, he is, I think, two months older than Peyton Watson, something like that. So he is a very young sophomore for his class. I, I loved what I saw from him when he uh, was in the U19s with Team Canada playing with Caleb Houston. I thought that he showed a little bit more. I think that's translated. I think he's scratching the surface. And you mentioned how loaded his, his team is. I think he's so perfectly playing within the team construct. And he's showing yeah. such a mature game for a kid of his age where it's like, all right, he has shown a little bit more off the bounce, but he's not shot hunting. And he's able to, you know, he's still cutting off ball. He's not getting lazy because, you know, he's not getting to pound the rock and he's just doing what he's supposed to do. And I've, I've kind of looked at him as kind of like, maybe he's like top end, like he could be like top end Malik Beasley kind of like without maybe some oh. of the, like banging Scotty Pippen's, yeah. you know, yeah. ex-wife stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and the yeah. drama that, that, Willie Beasley's brought, but I look at them kind of like this, like a similar role and what they can play in the NBA. And Beasley is a guy who, you know, he yeah, could probably I love, I love score Beasley. 20 points per game on a bad right. team, right? So I, right. I kind of look at Matherin as like the matured version of that, and that's what his potential is. So I'm in on my personal board. I don't, I haven't memorized it, but he's higher than 10. <sighs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it just in my head, I just keep having him as Iman Shumpert. So that that's just like a personal thing that maybe I have to shake. Nate, what are your thoughts on Ben Benedict? I, I need more. I need more uh, talking to. So he's been a little quiet lately, but he was on a stretch. He was on an absolute tear when I talked about him on my podcast. He he looks so much, and and I'll get to where the comparison differs a little bit in a second, but he reminds me so much of what we're seeing from Andrew Wiggins right now. The player that Wiggins is now, the more complete wing, the guy who isn't a dumpster fire passing off of a live dribble anymore, the guy who is a little more coordinated with how and when he's he's picking and choosing his spots, the type of shots he's able to get now in the mid-range, when it goes, it looks great. When it doesn't, I mean, we're not expecting those shots to go in at high volume, but he can create them. So... We talk about the athlete category. Obviously, he's he's not as tall. He's not as long as Wiggins, and he doesn't have that same step. But right. you trade in those things for a much better spot up shooter from three point range, a much more consistent shooter. So it's it's like give or take, right? Which one would you rather have? But in terms of how they actually operate within a game context, they both put a, they're they're both masters at putting up that silent twenty five. Like all of a sudden, you look up and it's like oh snap, they have like 25, 27 points in the game. And sometimes they will be quiet now, whether that's a byproduct of the both of them having that similar demeanor when you look at them, like they're not overly aggressive every single possession. And that's why they're not putting up more points and higher volume or whether it is the content, the construct of the team around them. That's a great point you made, Albert. He's playing with so much talent this year. The Arizona team is loaded. I'd be shocked if they didn't make it to the final four this year. Right. So, but though, those are a lot of the vibes I'm getting from him. And that's why okay. when we talk about ceilings, like if that's the type of player you're telling me I'm going to get in the NBA and we, you didn't even talk about his defense either. His defense has also been yeah. off the charts. He's looking like somebody who can lock somebody up. Now yes. he's, he's dipped a little bit in terms of overall defensive rating. And again, when we look at defensive metrics as 
Uh, as anybody would say, they're not perfect. He was at one point this season in the 90th percentile in terms of total defense. Now he's dipped down the 70th a little bit. You know, Arizona hasn't been perfect defensively these last two games, but yeah. we're still talking about a guy, median outcomes. He's probably going to be an 80-plus percentile offensive player and an 80-plus percentile defensive player. Mm. How many guys like that at his age with his upside are we really going to find in this class? So that's why I think top seven, top eight, I think he really has to be in the conversation. That's a fair point. I think especially the defensive point that you made. I mean, you look at Wiggins and how much the Warriors depend on him for his wing wing defense. I think that's a really fair point. Um, all right. You guys are kind of selling me for sure. Um, it's just, yeah. Okay. I'm I'm not all the way there with you guys, but I, I get it. I totally get the point you guys are making. Hey, look, I, I ended his little paragraph in, in the column on no ceilings with, you know, it, you should buy your Matherin stock at a reasonable price while you still can. Yep, and right, you know, right. and if you're buying now, it's a little bit more expensive than it was a month ago. Let's talk about some guys who were in the red, trending downward. You know, the, these are all top ten guys that we were just talking about, but we have some blue chip guys who started in the top ten early in the year and have fallen out. Uh, we have Caleb Houston from Michigan. He was. Uh, Ranked six overall to start the year. He's 14th now. Uh, we covered him a few weeks ago. AJ Griffin has fallen from five down to 22. He had the 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 largest fall from his preseason spot. Peyton Watson went from 10 to 23, and Yannick Sosa has fallen from nine to 24 overall on boards. Um. One of those guys, though, is showing a little something, a little juice, a little juice. We're talking about A.J. Griffin. He's had a few few positive games. I personally have not um, wavered a, a – I don't want to say a bit because I think that the, the impressive play of other prospects has levied the, the playing field on how I felt about him. But I have not wavered my personal opinion about him and his potential. And for the most part – no ceilings was the most reasonable uh, of all the outlets where we had him at 10 um, on our rankings. Whereas like currently ESPN as of when I did this article had him at 42 and dropped him, you know, completely out of the top 30, but he's shown some juice. So Nathan, where, where we at on AJ Griffin and where should the people be at with him? Oh, again, hearkening to the episode that listeners will also hear that, that I just did with Rucker. I, this was, this was a great column for me to write. It was a great episode for me to do this week. And now this is a great second episode for me to do this week because I got to eat a lot of crow. I got to eat a lot of shit. Uh, first of all, when you talk about the the best player in the PAC 12 projections, I believe I had written Peyton Watson's name on that column. And I've taken the big fat juicy L with Mr. Watson. Cause I don't think his stock is going to recover, but I also, in a section that I titled potential early overreactions, I think I did overreact to dropping AJ Griffin. I believe I was the only one out of all of us, or maybe one other person on the staff who dropped him into the twenties. I think the majority of us did stand pat you two, especially I know Albert, Albert especially has not wavered on Griffin at all. And I know you haven't either Corey. The thing that I made sure that I pointed out on my podcast about AJ is that when he's actually gotten minutes, to be able to produce, right? So he's had four games now where he's played 19 or more minutes. In those games, he's shooting about 66% from the field, putting up about 13 points per game, 
throwing a few assists in there, throwing some defensive plays in there. His defense overall looks much better, especially over the last few games. He looks more coordinated. It looks like he's understanding more. He's playing his angles better. But offensively, he's just getting buckets, and he's getting buckets from all three levels, and he's making things happen. And it's 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 one of those things you didn't know why he wasn't getting playing time with Coach K. There were so many rumblings out there. I think I read too much into the rumblings and probably didn't just accept the simple answer that it was this guy's been through so much physically that it was going to take him time to come back from all of it and eventually find his way into playing a prominent role in Duke's rotation. And now that he's getting more consistent minutes – the dude's balling out and he's looking like the top 10 prospect that we initially projected and he probably should have been all along. So I will happily take a little bit of an L in terms of overreacting a little early. And I'm right there with you guys. He is, he is a lottery talent through and through he's producing. I mean, you even look at, he doesn't have the most diverse synergy profile in terms of shots either, but everything that he is doing by those percentiles, he ranks out incredibly well, like excellent in those areas. Mm. So Shout, shout out to AJ Griffin. He's been one of the more delightful surprises over the last week, week and a half. I'm with you guys. I it, that wasn't even meant to be any uh, a kind of gotcha. I, I, I hadn't <laughs> realized how far you uh, you had dropped him in in the board. But you know what the other thing is like he just he also passes the eye test as like the way he's getting to his spots, multiple combo moves, the hesitations, the you know just how he's getting to his offense. It's like okay. That's how NBA wings who can score out of isolation sets get to their offense. He's doing all of those things. Um, and he's looking when he is getting minutes, like you said, like the guy who built up all this hype in high school and he's, he's able to do it against college kids. So here's hoping his role continues to grow. And I think that if this is really how he's going to be valued across the league, I think a team is going to get a steal similar, maybe to kind of like Cole Anthony, who struggled a little bit in college, dealt with injuries, and now he's looking like, you know, he's returning good value to his spot that he was taking in the 2020 draft. You mentioned Peyton Watson and how you took an L. I Look, he's also fallen down my board. Again, 10 to 23 on the draft um, stock market rankings update. But part, I still believe there's still something yeah. for me there. And I don't think we're going to see it this year because I don't think he's going to get the consistent minutes. I think that he is being evaluated at the wrong position because I don't think he's a wing. I think he's a modern big. And I know that his body is going to have to develop a lot to handle the physicality of that going forward. But um, I, I still really buy into what he could be as a defender and what he could be kind of like, look, again, I mentioned it. Derek Jones Jr. for the Bulls is a 6'6 guy who has become just an absolute awesome role man, dive man, small ball center. I think the league is potentially going to keep trending down where these kind of guys are playing center. And down the line, I could see Watson doing it, and he does have ball skills, right? And, and the shot is far along, but he has a lot of the other wing stuff besides the shot. I don't know. I can't quit him. I'm, I have to be rational with my evaluation because other guys are outperforming him and showing more potential than initially thought. But I just can't. I cannot sell all of the Watson stock. If anything, can, can you can you see his situation ending any other way than him going into the draft and being drafted in the second round and having to figure some things out and get his confidence back in the G League? 
I feel like that's where this is going. And that's that's not a terrible thing for him. But, like, I can't see him coming back to UCLA next year. I definitely can't see him entering the transfer portal and going to another school. I feel like this no. this this is only going to end one way. And if it works out for him, I think we're all rooting for him. But I don't see a situation in which his stock gets better this year at UCLA because I think so much of his confidence has been stripped away. And that, as I pointed out on my podcast, UCLA is trying to win games. Mick Cronin is a no-nonsense coach. He has so many other vets with, with mouths to feed to produce better results on that team. Why are they going to waste time drawing up a bunch of sets for Peyton Watson to get easy shots around the rim to get right. his confidence back? He's gone 0 for 12 in the last four games. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to believe too, Corey. I'm rooting for him. I just don't see how this turns around anytime soon. I don't necessarily think it, it will as far as what his draft stock is going to look, at, look yep. like. I do think that there is a team somewhere that's going to be like, we're going to take him with hundred percent first rounder, you know, late first round pick. Oh, I I don't, I don't even know about that, but that's, that's an argument that we may have. I think if you're a team in the 26, 27, 28 range, and I don't know who that's going to be, whatever, like this could be your chance to get a, a really high potential player. You may not be, you may not like what your options are as far as guys that you're looking at like oh maybe this guy could help us win next year chances are they can't because they're going to be rookies and you might just say let's take the guy with the massive potential put him in our developmental system and you know when when he gets a chance if, if he outplays it we'll bring him up and if not like we'll treat it like a minor league kind of a long-term investment i can see that i'm not guaranteeing it by any means but let me sure. ask you this what about this scenario because we've seen the G League Ignite team back. really oh, okay. the G League Ignite team really come alive recently. What if he didn't enter the draft, didn't transfer, but decided to join the G League Ignite, develop his game, get a better opportunity in a pro system, running with Scoot Henderson next year, and whatever whatever other crop of, of talent they bring in. And instead of, you know, having to deal with like, oh, we have a, a college coach who wants to win. What if he goes like the Marjan Bochamp route and kind of makes a name for himself showing off maybe some more NBA skills that he has? Is that plausible? It is. I can see that happening if he would not, if he gets the feedback that he's not going to be picked in the first round. Yeah. I could definitely see that happening. Like if he's going to not enter the draft, that that is that is a scenario I didn't even put out on my podcast, Corey. That was great thinking about that. That that's probably like literally the mm-hmm. only other plausible scenario. Again, if I, he's going to be told if he's not going to be picked in the first round, because I'm mm-hmm. wondering if if this is a route that future pros, college prospects might look to take. They should. I think that I think the ignite program is kind of proving really beneficial, and even if it starts out kind of sloppy, you know, this year because the the top end talent like Scoot wasn't there early on with an injury and it was a little sloppy. Like they're coming along and, and building themselves up some hype. So that's going to be something Corey, interesting I, I look at going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's a pe- um, possibility, but also if we look at this draft class and we see the success that Matherin and Ivy are seeing in year two of college, mm-hmm. I think that might be an option too. Like I, I think if Peyton Watson has a good relationship with Nick Cronin and, you know, maybe they look at it as like, Hey, this is a two year project and you're going to, you're going to come back next year. Like Juzang did, or uh, actually Juzang may be a bad, bad example, but you know, maybe Cronin goes, Hey, like this is like a two year project come back next season. Uh, we'll, 
you, you'll be given more responsibility, more opportunity. And this might be the best case for you. Like that might happen too. And I can sure. see that because, you know, I, you know, Rucker and I, we got to see him live. And I was literally you know, just going to say, I want your evaluation on him, Albert, because you may right. well have seen the best game <clears throat> that he plays in his freshman season at college. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair, like, I think the concerns that you guys have are real. Like he doesn't have muscles in his arms. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on there. It's like he literally looks like Reed Richards. And I'm very confused sometimes when I see him play. That's a real thing. But at the same time, his mobility on the court was insane to see live. And like for for all that he lacks in girth in his arms, his wingspan is sick. Like he looks like a pterodactyl out there when he's like spreading his arms out on defense. It's pretty insane. But his mobility offensively and defensively was really interesting. He can really run. He can really move. I, I thought his hips were pretty good, too. Um, not that his hips were like something crazy. He wasn't you know, Darrell Rivas, but, you know, you could see it. You could see the potential with him as a defender. Even on the offensive side, he had a couple pull-up jumpers where Rucker and I were like, what the hell, where where did that come from? That was nice, you know? But at the same time, I, I really do think we have to look at him as more of a project more than anything. He's nowhere near his final version his final form of himself he needs a lot of time i think Corey, you mentioning the g league option i think that's a great option that's like sending him to triple a and telling him hey you know get more at bats get more you know try playing first base try playing left field try different things um and then the point that you made about like him being a, a big one day like a like you know I mean, like Bruce Brown, what he did for the Nets last year. Um, you look at what the Knicks have experimented a little bit with, like Obi Toppin this year, playing him alongside Julius. I, I, I think there is a world where we can see that with Peyton Watson as well. I just, I actually am really still really, really high on him. Um, I just think he's like a two, three year project at, at minimum. And I, well, I know what Brandon just... Boston's doing in the G League too, and now coming right. up for the Clippers right. and tearing up. Not that they're a direct one-to-one comparison, but both Correct. project the top ten picks before the year, who ultimately fell, and that that could be some of the value that's recuperated in in a Peyton Watson reclamation project as well. Sometimes it just takes time, and that that's okay. Not all these guys are going to figure it out from day one. The NBA is so 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 hard, and yeah. Peyton yeah. Watson chose to play for a UCLA program and step into so much pressure for a title contender from day one and it's mixed results. And, and that, you know, what? sometimes that, that, that should have been expected a little bit. Yeah. And, and look, the Sierra Canyon boys, Zaire and Brandon Boston, I think are two of the reasons that I I'm confident. Maybe that teams might look at a guy like Peyton Watson at the back end of the first round yeah. and say, this is worth, worth the risk. Um, let's talk about the newcomers and, and the guys We'll we'll mention the guys who fell out of the, the, the top 30, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the newcomers. Um, so out, we have six six newcomers, and coming out, leaving us for this iteration of the, the stock market update, uh, Damian Willi- uh, Collins from Kentucky, uh, Roko Prakachin, Matthew Cleveland, Matthew Mayer, Tristan Bucevic, and Marcus Bagley. So we can all rem- uh, remember them fondly, maybe, maybe look for them in some second-round pieces, uh, some sleeper deep dives, <laughs> on no ceilings in the future, but they are no longer with us for the top 30. Entering that is from lowest rank to highest, Bryce McGowan's at 29, Marjan Bochamp at 28, Ochai Abaji at 26, Wendell Moore at 24, Jonathan Davis at 21, and Trevor Keels at 16. So we touched on Marjan Bochamp a little bit, G League Ignite guy. Super fun, you know, bouncy, 
long, athletic, 3-and-D type prototype uh, wing. Bryce McGowns is another guy who's kind of long, you know, has a little bit off the bounce. I know you're a big fan of him, Nathan. Uh, where, I mean, he, he's just entering, so his stock has risen, right? So that, yes. that, that's a, a good sign for, for Bryce McGowns. He's, um, his stock is kind of all over the board right now. Like Sports Illustrated has him at 34, whereas Bleacher Report has him at 17. So, you know, he's, he has a wide range currently. Uh, is 29 appropriate, or do you think that's too high, too low? I do think that's too low. For me, that's too low. I had him at 15 on my personal board. And some of the the jump shot metrics, jump shot statistics you want to look at right now, they're not great. But at the same time, I think he's been miscast a little bit as this ultimate volume type of scorer. He's doing things for that Nebraska team that he definitely won't be asked to do in the NBA. He'll be asked to play a role. But when you start to put together what he is capable of, or at least what he's shown flashes of being able to do, Three level scores who love to get to the free throw line at six seven don't grow on trees. They don't come around every single day nearly as often as you'd expect. And that that's going to continue to be one of the big selling points for me on McGowan's is his willingness to go to the free throw line despite he's six seven listed at 179 pounds. And when you look at him on tape, that might even be a little mm. generous. But yeah, when you have that player <laughs> who is a little limited from that bulk perspective, yet he's wired to consistently attack, 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 and he wants to get better and get there, that means something to me. So I still think there is untapped potential with McGowan's, and I think Mm -hmm. that once he gets himself in a different role in the NBA, people are going to look back. If he goes like anywhere in like the late first round and he's not like a top 20 guy, I think he'll be one of those guys people look back and go, "Why why didn't we draft him in the top 20? Nate, I have a question. At the end, you mentioned, you know, him potentially being a three-level scorer. I think for me, that's like kind of where my question comes in. Like, is he actually going to be a three-level scorer? Because I think what you said about him getting to the free throw line, that's all great. And and I, you see it. Like the guy is, as you mentioned, he's a beast. He's trying to get to the line. He's trying to take contact. He's trying to do all kinds of things. And that type of aggression is awesome from a guy who's a six-seven wing like that. My question is, when you see him shoot, sometimes he will throw up some stones, um, some UFOs. And so my question for you is like, obviously, you know, we all value prospects differently. We all see things differently. I think we're going to eventually talk about our different biases as scouts or whatever. So from, from his jump shot, if we just isolate and put that in a vacuum, what are your overall thoughts on the jump shot? Because I think that's where I'm, I have some question marks. It's a little similar to Jade and Ivy in terms of when when he's rushed to kind of go through his motion, it gets a little funkier. When he's taking a shot that he's not comfortable with, it gets a little funky. When he has a little bit more space, when he has that extra half second to really compose himself on an open jumper, that thing looks pretty good going in. He, he, he gets some of those swish makes that I love to see. Um, so that is something that we do have to monitor. That's a great thing to point out, Albert. And, and like I said, the, the numbers are not pretty. He's shooting 39.6% from the field, 21% from three, but he is shooting 81.6% from the free throw line. So that means that the jump shot mechanics, I think, are going to be there. And he mm-hmm. also, he does look good setting up those shots in the mid-range. Okay. His okay. handle isn't great, but I'd say it's good and it can be on its way to being pretty good. 
So especially when you factor in how long he is, him being that six seven size, he can get that shot off. As long as he's creating it and he looks good creating it, I think mechanically everything will fall into place when he's not cast as his primary scoring option in the NBA. I get TJ Warren vibes from a guy like Bryce oh. McCallum. And TJ Warren was a guy who, looking back, was probably undervalued at his draft slot. Um, I mean, he went 14, I think, you know, and, and, but he was a guy who really filled it up in college. And I'm sure, you know, the dialogue back then was like, all right, is he going to be able to do this in the NBA, be this guy who's scoring on such massive volume? And it's like, outside of the bubble, the answer is no, but he is able to do it adequately enough that he could carry your team in spurts and he could do it, you know, as a starter, or you could look at him off the bench. It doesn't really matter. He could still do that in spurts. And that has value. Uh, even if you're not a all NBA volume scorer, being a volume scorer that can fit into, you know, the, the positions that we're currently seeing in the NBA, even in a part-time role, I think, will carry value. So he is a guy I look I look at and say he, he is somebody that probably will continue to rise a little bit um, as more people get eyeballs on him. And Nathan, I think uh, Rutgers plays Nebraska in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, I'll talk to my guy Frank, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll be courtside for, for that game, um, hopefully. Uh, another guy who's a couple of Duke guys that have, have really risen up. Uh, Trevor Keels at 16, Wendell Moore at 24. Keels, I mean, he came out probably the hottest name of uh, the Champions Classic just with the performance he put on. And his stock seemingly just keeps going up. He's he's nearing lottery territory, and that's coming from somebody who was unranked previously. Uh, ESPN has him at number eight, so... You know, they value him very highly. Which uh, which of these Duke guys, because Wendell Moore has been hooping this season. Just, I mean, his advanced metrics are out of this world. He passes the eye test. Albert, which guy do you kind of prefer um, if you were an NBA decision maker? <sighs> Dude, what the hell? <laughs> Corey with the million dollar questions today. Um, that's a really tough question because, like you mentioned, Trevor Keels from the beginning of the season, he's definitely fallen off a little bit. I think, oh, I think yeah. that's fair to say. His shooting percentages uh, are not 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 the best in the class. Yeah, mm-hmm. not the prettiest. Um, Wendell Moore, I I agree with you. Wendell Moore feels like the classic do it all type of wing. That guy is he's like you kind of want a guy on your team always. Um, I, I'm a little sad you didn't mention my boy Mark Williams because he's moved up um, on the charts too. Um, you mean Corey's Mark boy, Mark Williams? <laughs> Corey's guy? <laughs> Mark um, Williams has moved up, but he was he was on yeah, – he only moved right, up, right. I believe, five spots in total on, on the rankings. Um, This is actually a really hard question. I think the question that we have to answer here is like, do we believe Keels will improve as a shooter? 
um he's getting a lot of marcus smart comps but i mean mm-hmm. i think nathan you were the one who mentioned that he doesn't have the playmaking of a marcus smart um and i definitely agree with that um I just, he does he'll, he will have these games though where he throws up like five or six assists and you're like where did that come from yeah yeah but i like kills a lot man like the the energy and the ad- attitude and the toughness that he plays with i think all of us can appreciate that look at look at uh rucker just Jumping in here, Trevor Trevor Keel slander will not be allowed. Uh, now for those, I really li- for, for those listening, Tyler Rucker has commented on the YouTube feed uh, <laughs> as we record this live. He's oh, he's a huge God. fan. He wrote a great article on on Keels on the No Ceiling Substack yeah. that you can yeah. feel free to check out. Uh, continue, Albert. For me, I'm gonna lean a little bit towards Keels, but I mean, it could really change because I really Wendell Moore has been awesome this year. I don't have his numbers in front of me. Um, I. If Synergy is listening, you guys have to hook a boy up. I'm already like a noob here. I need some help with your stats and stuff. So Synergy, um, hook me up. But anyway. Keels Keel, um, Keel is in the 58th percentile in terms uh-huh. of total offense. Wendell okay. Moore is in the 92nd percentile in terms of total offense. So, so that's not very close, um, no, obviously. I mean, Wendell Moore um, shooting 58% from the field, 39% from three, yeah. Uh, yeah. 69% from the free throw line, uh, yeah. five assists a game. Six rebounds. Has Wendell Moore been Duke's best player this year? I think it'd be a great question to ask and maybe could swing the debate here. Not that I'm saying that Wendell Moore should be like a surefire lottery pick, but in terms of between these two guys, their impact for Duke, I don't even think it's been close. It's a fair, it's a fair question to ask. I mean, you know, he's got a a 29 PER, 66% true shooting per a hundred. I mean, his offensive ratings, 133. 90.9 90.9 defensive rating uh 30 points per 100 nine assists 10 rebounds i mean he's doing he's Flavor. really filling it up his his thing I, I, is I think, is it going to be uh-huh. sustainable no so like my only caveat here is that this is also year three for Wendell Moore. yes meanwhile this is not year three for trevor keels um i once again Moore like is i think young though he's only 20 still correct yeah I, I mean the numbers that you guys are throwing at me are pretty insane um, but at the same time, like, I do really like Keels a lot. And I think, like, if you look at the jump shot, I know the numbers are bad, but if you look at the jump shot, it doesn't look broken at all. Mm-hmm. And you just have to wonder, like, if he can find himself in between that first, that, that game against Kentucky and then everything else, like, if he can find that middle ground with the shooting, then there's a lot to be excited about with him, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially with, like, his defensive potential. I'm going to lean Keels. I am. But I totally hear what you guys are saying about Moore because the numbers are pretty terrifying. That's where I'm at as well. And I will say, and the reason I think that he's getting these smart comparisons, when I saw him in the Champions Classic, I felt him. His impact, there was something intangible about what was going on on the floor where it was like on both ends, it was just a level that nobody else was playing at. Now, he hasn't been, you know, that impactful on the offensive end uh, throughout the season. Defensively, I think he has brought a lot of that same intensity on a night-to-night basis. Physically, it's hard to see him not being able to match up with, you know, a a whole plethora of positions and players in the NBA because he's just, uh, again, similar to Duran, like, that does matter. It is something that you have to take into account, that that kind of physical ability. Um, so I, I'm kind of there too, but 
Whale Moore is making a case, and he seems like a guy. I mean, if he keeps up this play, you're not looking at a guy who's going to be ranked 24th on the next iteration of this stock update. So uh, the the Duke guys, it's interesting that that that's an interesting team because they're loaded, um, and going forward, it, I you know I know I I forgot who keeps bringing this up. I think Stephen from uh, Draft Capital. It's like. Are all of these got how many? How high can every single player on Duke go in this singular draft before you start trying to talk yourself into like, is the the sum of the whole greater than the individual parts and and trying to evaluate it like that? Now the the last guy that we have to talk about on the show today, ranked twenty first. We have we've been on him early at no ceilings. Although we 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 ranked him too low, even in our first iteration of a uh, a big board, we're calling him Jonathan because we respect him more than other outlets. But uh, Wisconsin's Johnny Davis, he's ranked twenty first. He was a guy that was unranked coming in. I don't think many saw this coming. If you watched uh, him this summer or last season where he only averaged around seven points a game and, and struggled with a lot of the things he's, he's excelling at. But Jonathan Davis is looking like a legitimate top 10 pick. Uh, we've had really great content about Jonathan Davis on no ceilings, Tyler Metcalf. I won't make that mistake, fellas, like Albert does. Wrote a really great piece <laughs> on his scoring. Nathan. Is the Jonathan Davis hype real? Kind of has to be. I mean, uh, again, we're not working with just like a one or two game sample size anymore. This man is doing everything at volume. He's taking 16 shots per game. He registers in almost every single shot category. You would want to see a score that he's being billed as registering on Synergy. I love how much he's not only handling the ball and looking to score, but also to distribute it. He rates out in every single percentile, including passes on Synergy as well. So that's isolations, pick and rolls, as well as post-ups. And he rates out expectedly pretty decently to good to great in all of them. Um, Just the ways that Mr. Metcalf talked about, the ways that we've all kind of shared how he's looking to score the basketball, I think impresses me the most. He, the the three-point attempts are definitely there. He's taking 4.1 a game. But he's also – they have been inconsistent. And he's had some 20-plus point performances where he's only taken like one or two three-pointers yeah. in a game. And the thing that I've always wanted to point out about guards is that in the NBA, if you're scoring 20 to 25 points a game, generally that's on four to five-plus three-point attempts per game. Not many guys his size are getting to those numbers on – low three-point volume. So the more mature, the more nuanced scoring attack that he's shown at Wisconsin this year, on the volume, he's not turning the ball over. He's taking care of the ball. He's getting others involved. And he's being the number one option, the true offensive engine. I think it is it is safe to say at this point he's been an engine for mm-hmm. Wisconsin, whether that translates to that serious of an extent in the NBA that remains to be seen. I think we, we still need some answers to, to that question, but he's been an engine in college. And I think just how much responsibility that's been on his shoulders, how well he's carried this team. I think there's no doubt in my mind at this point, he's a top 10 pick. 
Now I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck things up here for a second. Go ahead. And I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it rolling with you, Nathan. Is there a chance that Jonathan Davis is a better NBA prospect than Jaden Ivey? And is actually wow. the best guard prospect in the class. Holy crap. I didn't say, is it going to happen? I said, is there wow. a chance? You look at a lot of the numbers, and they're not far off. The way this kid's impacting the game cannot be overstated. He has been an absolute monster. And it's early, and he exploded on the scene, so we don't know how much staying power there is. But I'm just saying, mm. is there a chance? There's a chance. And I think that really that really comes back to his pull-up scoring ability. And that's the one thing I said that Ivy doesn't have. And I don't know if I'm going to come out and say that Ivy's definitely going to have that. Um, Jonathan Davis has that start-stop to his game. I think he's a little more ambidextrous than Ivy. Ivy has the speed to get into the lane to finish at the basket better. But I think Davis is a, a better – he has a better finishing package overall. We talk about pull-ups – a little craftier. The pull relies up a little ability. bit less on like the the athleticism to do it. it. I think it's a race between him and Mathurin in terms of best tough shot makers in the draft class, right? Like I'm not throwing Ivy into the tough shot making category. He's he's extraordinary at what he does and what he's comfortable doing because of his physical gifts. Davis is not nearly that gifted physically. He's a little bigger than Ivy, but he's not nearly as explosive. No. Yet he still not finds ways to get it done. Yes. So that that speaks to me about intelligence, IQ. I, I'm, I think Ivy's a safe number four right now, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm not going to rule out the possibility. No, because I I didn't even have Davis as a top thirty guy coming in preseason. So why the hell am right. I going to rule it out now? The fact that he's already risen this much in in everyone's eyes, and it's it's not it's not an overreaction. It's not an unrealistic take either. Mm. This is far from an overreaction. He has too much evidence right now to to point otherwise. Yeah, he's Jesus Christ. I, he's he's look, he he already and, and the reason he's only at 21 right now mm-hmm. is because, you know, a lot of these outlets are not updating their rankings every single day, right? So where we're at we had him at 28. Sports Illustrated hasn't had him at 5. Uh Basketball News had him at 26, Tankathon at 25, Bleacher Report at 8, and then ESPN ESPN at 31. So he is a guy that you need to pay attention to. If you're going to buy stock in somebody where you want to, you know, show up Mm -hmm. to your group chat, hanging out with your friends and you're like, yo, you need to go watch this kid hoop because no one's talking about him and he's going to be, you know, a a guy who's a top 10 pick. Like Jonathan Davis yeah. is a guy that you need to buy that stock in and, and start talking about early. If you wanna if you wanna find out, you know, you wanna be get into the band before they blow up, you mm-hmm. wanna be the you know, the the indie kid who does that, this is the dude in my opinion to to do it with. <sighs> Guys, I just wanna say like everything that you just said, Corey, is terrifying just to think about. Like I didn't even realize that Sports Illustrated had him five, which is like Shouts to you guys. Holy crap to have Davis at five, which is not, I don't think it's crazy with everything that you guys are saying. Like when I think about, like, okay, let's talk about comps really quick for Jonathan Davis. Who do you guys have in mind? Because on our Twitter spaces, I mentioned like a Jerry Stackhouse. 
right? Jerry Stackhouse in his prime was almost a 30 point per game scorer guy who mid range technician didn't have like the best handle in the world, but he can get to the basket. I think he averaged like 10 free throws per game at one point in his career. Um, that's it, it. Jerry Stackhouse is real. Like he was an unbelievable scorer. I also was thinking like with the way that he moves and with his physique, a little bit of um, what's, what's that fool's name? Um, wow. It's um, I just I, had it in my I, head. The Utah know. guy Clarkson. Um, Clarkson. What's his first name? Jordan, Jordan Clarkson. What, dude? In my head, I kept saying Jeremy Clarkson. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Jordan Clarkson. If you look at like physique and the way that they move a little bit, I had him in mind. Who do you guys think Davis reminds you of? Because I think he could be that type of scorer on the next level. So, all right, definitely not entirely because the playmaking is is not there. And I'm about to compare him to somebody who, had it not been for injuries, would have probably gone down as one of the best shooting guards of all time. You, you, I think, I think, yep. Wow. Yep. See, I, so I, I love it, though, Corey, because everybody wants to throw out the Brandon Roy name for so many players. But this is the one where I actually think it's an apt comparison to use. Yeah, I see a little Brandon Roy. And it's it's because of the pace, the patience, yep. the way he gets to his spots. Um, you know, Brandon Roy had bounce and he was athletic, but he wasn't, you know, in that freak category and he didn't rely on it. He was, he was much more reliant on skill and IQ. Now he was undoubtedly a better playmaker, um, than Davis has, has shown. But when we talk about his scoring package, and this is again, why he's not on the level of the prospects of, you know, Brandon Roy, because he doesn't have that same level of, of playmaking, but I, I the way he gets to his offense for himself reminds me a lot of how Brandon Roy would get to his spots in the NBA because he was just never rushed. He played at his own speed. It didn't really matter what the defense was throwing at him. He just reacted to it and, you know, could be a step ahead to get to his spots. And that's what he's kind of looked like early on in the season. And it's early, um, but I that kid is legit. Can, can I throw out a scenario in which it might actually be plausible that he not only climbs to four in the draft, but potentially climbs even higher? Mm. What if John, and, and, and I've, I've watched enough of this Wisconsin team to know that they're not always going to light you up offensively. He's the main scorer on that team for a reason, but this, this team defends their asses off. And it's to the point where a few of these games that they've lost now, they're nine and two. You talk about flipping a few more shots in their favor and they could be 10 and one, or they could be 11 and zero. What if Jonathan Davis is that very, very, very rare freshman scorer like Carmelo Anthony that can lead his team to a national championship? Well, what if Wisconsin would somehow win the championship? He, he is a sophomore. So, you know, let's, sophomore, that's, know. that's right. My yeah, bad, my bad. Young, young, sophomore. young college player who is quite literally putting the team on his back. Right. And he carries that team to a national championship. It's not. It's not crazy. It's, it's not, not crazy. impossible, and and it'll that will certainly uh, a deep tournament run for a team that I mean, what are they? Twenty fourth in the nation as we speak, something like that. You know, they're not. I mean, they're in the top twenty. Their second not, best score is Brad Davison, who I feel like has been in college for as long as I've been out of college. Like, well, nobody knows how old you actually are, Nathan. So we don't <laughs> that, that, that that can mean anything. <laughs> I'm clearly just drunk. I'm getting Jonathan Davis's <laughs> age wrong in, in college, and I'm, I'm, I'm clearly just out of it. But. 
Yeah, look, a deep tournament run is going to really throw throw it out there that he could he could his stock could climb as high as uh, like you said he could enter that top five and and who knows about the the top three. It's early still. Uh, we've been we've been going on for an hour and twenty minutes now. Holy I crap! Mean, and we didn't even cover half of the guys and their movement. Mm-hmm. That's that's how much movement there is. So uh, please. You know, if you wanted, we missed out on any of the guys you wanted to hear about on this episode. They were covered in the actual draft stock rankings, and you could find out how they moved, what their average stock price is. Do that by heading to noceilings.substack.com. Subscribe so it goes right to your email. It's free, free ninety nine. So um, that's where you can find that and, and a collection of all of our work. Uh, Nathan, thank you for, for coming on as, as always, it's, this feels like the first conversation that we've had, uh, that was being recorded. That wasn't about the G league in a while. Um, but, uh, I'm sure we'll have a, one of those conversations again fairly soon, but tell the people where they can find all of the things that you do on the internet. So you can find all of my written work exclusively on the same no ceilings collective. You can find myself on Twitter at Draft Deeper, and you can subscribe to the Draft Deeper podcast, also part of the No Ceilings Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Come come hang out. Come join the conversation. Come talk to all of us on social media. We're always on there. We're always, always wanting to stir up a little chaos in the draft world. Oh, and we have the the supreme agent of chaos who who's stirring it all up at all times uh, on the on the squad and, and Mr. Rucker. Albert, where can the people find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, you can find me at Alberto Gim at GTGNBA are my two handles on Twitter. Um, you find me talking about all kinds of random things. It's been a it's been a wild week for me, uh, work wise and stuff. But I'm I'm really thankful for our uh, No Ceilings family for uh, covering over me and uh, always being supportive. I, I I freaking love what we do at No Ceilings, and I'm always super thankful to be a part of it. But um, yeah, keep checking out our stuff. Nate's been Nate is our rock star. He is our absolute rock star here at No Ceilings. He's the one who gets all the high profile guests, and he's pumping out content like nine days out of the week. So. Shouts to you, Nate. It's always awesome having you on. Like Corey mentioned, usually we're talking about G League, but getting to talk to you about all these other players was good. Reminds me of our uh, interesting conversation about Jalen Johnson last year. Um, yeah, but that was I, 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 I love my podcast, and I love a lot of the things that I'm doing over there. But in terms yeah. of anything else outside of some of the content that I'm able to do individually, I have so much fun coming on this show with you guys. Oh. And I've said it so many times. You got Corey, your your draft stock market price update piece. That is the most unique piece of draft content that's oh, yeah. available on the web because I feel like every year we come to all these conclusions about big boards, about mock drafts, but there's no quote unquote historical recollection of all of it. And yeah. you're literally keeping record of it. And, and you're going to be doing that for us at No Ceilings month after month. So we're always going to oh, know yeah. where everybody was at at any time. Nobody else is doing anything like that. So I'm I'm proud know. to say that that's on the No Ceilings platform. I, oh, yeah. I truly appreciate that. I haven't even brought out the graphs yet because they're coming. Mm-hmm. Once we have enough data points. Uh, charts and be, graphs, baby. There's going to be charts and graphs. It's going to be a whole fucking thing. Um, all right, guys, we did it. Please, um, if you haven't yet, you can rate and review 
the podcast not only on Apple Podcasts, but you can now do it on Spotify as well. So hit your boys with a five-star rating. Um, I mean, look, if you think it's a four-star rating, you know, do what your heart tells you to do. I don't want to, you know, have you going through the day, you know, telling yourself a lie. But, you know, we throw us a five-star. We appreciate it. You know what I mean? And um, until next week, guys, where we have a more traditional episode lined up, um, we out. Peace. Peace.